The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, welcome to Following Through the Cracks. I'm Dr. Rebecca Risk, and I'm here to help you find your way back to health. My main goal for today is to talk about what it looks like when someone is chronically ill in your family or around you. One of the most common topics in my office is the stress that the illness has on a family unit or a patient who has little to no support system. In my own experience, having been a caregiver when my mother-in-law was dying of cancer and then the next years to come having to be cared for with my own illness, I understand both sides of the spectrum. I think it's a little acknowledged part of life in illness and aging, and I want to bring more awareness to this topic. Today, we're going to talk with uh, Sheila and Doug Winkler. Welcome to the show, Sheila and Doug. Thank you. Thanks. Um, so Sheila and Doug um, have gone through some some hard times with illness, and um, if you could just both maybe we'll start with what that looked like before um, the illness affected your family. What was your family dynamic like? Um, we were a busy family um, taking part in our kids. We have three children, um, so we were actively involved in our kids' activities and volunteer work work within those activities. We both work full-time. I'm a teacher and Doug Farms, close to home here, and so we were on the go all the time and and in between times, of course, enjoying time with family and friends. So, um, Doug, what what did your um, work look like on the farm? How active were you and what did that look like? Um, Being, I guess, the guy figures that he's in the um, his prime working years. Uh, I think a, a large part of the farm relied on me for a lot of the, a lot of the the physical end of it. Um, there's the daily activities would include uh, lifting, driving, fixing, uh, maneuvering, adjusting, uh, engineering, all those type of things. And there was also uh, with with farming that goes in, with, you know, on the mental side of things, a lot of um, a lot of planning. Uh, whether it's just strategic planning or reacting to the weather or preparing for an upcoming season. So you were obviously very active. I mean, I, I, being a farmer, I can imagine you're running around long hours as well and doing mm-hmm. all of that. And, and you guys said you have three children? We do. We have uh, twin boys who are now 17, so they're in grade 12, but they've, they've kept us busy through the years, and we have a daughter who's 12 years old in grade 7. So are your children involved in activities? Yes, um, our daughter is involved in ringette um, outside of school, and so that keeps us going two to three times a week. Uh, we just came back from a tournament this weekend, so it involves a fairly hectic schedule. Um, the boys are also involved in um, activity 4-H, which is um, highly involved with, with volunteering on our side in terms of being involved with animal care and, and getting the kids to their meetings and such like that. So it was, it's pretty busy. Yeah, I mean, from, um, you know, what I hear, having one child involved in something is pretty much a full-time job, and you've got three kids and running around, and, and you're both working. So that that in itself, I think, is a big stress for most people trying to balance that in life. Exactly. What do you, yeah, what do you think helped you the most at that time um, before illness happened, just to survive all of that? 
Well, I think the biggest thing was Doug and I balancing um, work life with family life. And so oftentimes, you know, we would tag team each other and he would take Lauren to ring Annette and I would go to to 4-H or if the kids were involved in school sports, it would be back and forth. And we just tried to share the load. Um, and, of course, our family would help us out as well, and we always appreciated that, our friends, carpooling. Um, it was always a team effort. Okay. Um, yeah, that uh, I can imagine with three kids and running around, that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened um, when, when Doug got sick? How did that start? Um, Doug... I think it, the changes were, were very subtle for us, and uh, Doug just started to slowly be unable to take part in as many activities. Um, he would try. He always had the effort. Um, he, would, he would try to take the kids and, and, and keep up, but I could just tell um, he didn't have the stamina he once did to be out as late, or um, he would maybe stay home a little bit more. So I was trying to take on more of the load because I could see that uh, he wasn't feeling well and or it was taking him longer to get through his normal work day. So, Doug, how were you feeling at this time? What was going on for you? Um, I started to have a... I, some ways I think a, a generalized anxiety because I would think I'm, I'm, I, find, I was finding my work harder. I didn't know why. And people said, well, you've done this 10 years previous or 15 years previous. What is, what is the big deal this year? Um, I found the hot hotter, the cold colder. And when I, when I would get done a day of work and come home, instead of, you know, picking up an activity or pitching in the house, I would kind of flop on the couch and like a lump and, and uh, either drag myself to try to play, play my men's hockey or drag myself off to a kid's 4-H activity or my daughter's ringette. And not really begrudge it, but it was like as soon as I could get a chance to sit down in the stands and hump in a lump again, I would, I would take advantage of it. And I just thought I was, I blamed myself for having maybe a bad attitude or not being active enough. So I would try, I tried to step on the gas a little harder. And, and one day you step on the gas and you, you realize you're already at the floor and, and there's, it's not working very well. Yeah, so what did that day look like when you realized you were out of gas and there was something wrong? How did, because you said the changes were subtle, so what was it that brought you to realize something was wrong? Um, it's, it came, it, sometimes I, I, I'd complain kind of in a third person to my wife or my fa- other family members. I said, did I take a dumb pill today? I just felt like I was generally dumbing down, and I, I thought, when I thought to myself, well, maybe it's just wear and tear. My, some of my colleagues or my friends would say, well, you're not 20 anymore. You know, you, mm-hmm. you realize you may have to get a longer handle on the wrench or, or, or use, a, use a hand cart instead of carrying it around like you used to do. And I, I just I wasn't quite satisfied with that comparison when I found myself, when my, I literally felt my strength slipping away. Yeah, I think that's a, a common um comment for people say well you know I'm older now or um, I'm just tired and stressed with stuff that's going on you don't realize that what you're experiencing isn't normal because you you make excuses because it wasn't overnight that it changed no and I um, I I didn't realize how well I was either faking or compensating to keep going but uh, after you after you're out of tricks for you in your compensation tickle trunk you you're feel like you may be up against a bit of a, or you've painted yourself into a corner, so to speak. Yeah. And so, Sheila, for you, um, the, you know, when you realized he was out of gas, what was the first step that you guys took to see what was going on? Well, we, we first started um, with our GP doctor. Um, Doug went to his doctor that he'd gone to for several years prior, and, and he had some chronic issues that he was dealing with. One of the biggest, I think, was the fatigue that he was feeling um, and just really not feeling himself, and that's what I observed. And so he had blood work done, and it was basically that came back normal. And um, 
so Doug, you know, there's a sense of relief, I guess, with that, and um, off he went again, thinking, well, you know, maybe it's in my head, um, and because he was presenting somewhat like he was depressed, um, the doctor was looking at possible de- depression and or anxiety disorder at that time. And that was just because of the fatigue, and of course, Doug, you said you had anxiety because you weren't able to finish your days. You're having yeah, getting through. Yeah. I felt more and more pressure just that, well, you know, the, the seasons started to run together for me. I, could, I couldn't seem to really catch a break. And um, I, I, when you break it down into I was, was barely mentally ready for the next phase of the growing season because I, I, wasn't, I, I wasn't recovering from the phase I just went through. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you've got long hours, and it doesn't really stop when you're a farmer. I think you're, you're always there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so after that initial time when you did the blood work, you must have realized that there was still something wrong. What did you do next? I think, I mean, our gut was still, and I'm speaking for Doug a little bit here, but our gut was still telling us that there was something more, but when a doctor is telling you that, it's likely depression, anxiety, and it can have physical manifestations. We felt that, okay, you know, maybe he. it was a difficult year. It was the year of the flood in 2013 that we really noticed a sudden change. And so um, we kind of looked at, um, he looked at medications that were looking at treating anxiety and depression. So that was kind of the first the first step there and then we went um, when he didn't get relief there he went back to um, another doctor to get a second opinion and that was when some of the more rigorous tests began in terms of MRI and working off of uh, a list of other possible causes for his fatigue and head, head pain. And were there other symptoms that were coming up, or were you just dealing mainly with the fatigue and headaches and stuff? Well, Jayla, Jayla touched on some chronic health issues that I that I just uh, basically, to quote unquote, learned to live with. Um, I'd had a uh, a skin problem that we we later learned what that was, but it was it was uh, covered a like ten fifteen years skin problem. Um, and the, the dermatologist that ended up getting referred to was just give me some steroid cream and called it some kind of evil dermatitis and call them in two weeks. And then my sinus cavities, uh, I've had years of sinus issues, and they see in the past five years they were seemed to get they were getting worse. So that these were kind of things that were became straws in the camel's back that just were holding you, were pushing you down one one notch at a time. Yeah. So in it was, addition it was, to the other. Yeah, it seems when most people have an illness, it kind of builds up because it does take a long time. And what did you guys do in between appointments? You were trying medication, but but what was happening when those weren't helping and and you weren't quite sure what to do? There was a there began began to be a great deal of discouragement. Um, We were becoming, I know I was becoming quite anxious and worried that we weren't finding some easy solutions and answers to. Doug's issues, and um, the more we started to look at how wide the list of symptoms were becoming, um, we were becoming more hopeless in terms of getting those answers. So back to the doctor, we'd go to say, you know, this isn't really getting better. They'd always give us kind of six weeks to go back, see if see if we saw an improvement, and away we'd go. And so in between time, it was it was tough, and Doug continued to get sicker and sicker, so it was becoming harder for us to um, function in the home. Um, and was there a certain point in time where you weren't able to work? Um, yeah, I would take, well, I would take any advantage I could of, of downtime or uh, even, even, even come to recreation I I had the opportunity to play in a in a tournament, and I we we'd hauled we'd finished hauling a particular contract in, and I phoned up the team and I said, guys, I don't think I can do it, and I I don't think I've ever made that comment to anyone before because I'm usually the guy first dressed warming up uh, to go, 
And uh, I became, I just would become like literally saving myself for, for the bare necessity work and then coming home and crashing. Yeah, that must have been hard for you to realize that you couldn't do something so physical when you were such an active person. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. So um, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk more with Sheila and Doug about what illness actually looks like for your family. Um, if you have any questions or comments about this show, you can send us an email at anantacalgary at gmail.com or you can send us a message on Twitter or Facebook. We'd love to hear from you and hear your comments and we'll be back shortly after this break. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black and Dari Samia. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. We all want to live a healthy, vibrant life. With so many toxins in our world, it becomes an uphill battle. Inflammation is the premise of all disease and comes from four sources of toxins. With a proper understanding of toxins as well as proper detoxification and nutrition, disease can be avoided. Tune in to Whole Healthy Living with Sharon Brennan and learn how you can live a clean, whole, and healthy life in a toxic world. Start your journey Fridays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. And we're talking today about caregivers and illness and how this does affect a family. Um, We're speaking with Doug and Sheila, who um, have been affected by illness. Doug was um, taken ill and and things changed in their family. So I just want to talk about um, what happened when you were diagnosed. How did that change how things were for you? Um, When I, when I, after my diagnosis, uh, it was, the day I got the, some of the information and, and maybe some of the protocol to start on um, on what was to be my, my my journey, for lack of a better word, um, I I didn't know at that point because um, the doctor shared with me this is going to be a long journey, and I had no idea of the word long in terms of months or or years or or effectiveness or you know, and everyone's in Western culture is pretty convinced that you can just find something in a bottle and be better in a week and this wasn't one of those times so that adjustment period for me was was difficult and uh and i was warned that there would be highs and lows but but gradual improvement so i'm not quite sure how i made it through the first season um, of of treatment but i would although things were getting better some things were actually it kind of sounds weird to say had to get worse before they got better. And mm-hmm. by the time harvest rolled around of 2014, uh, our farm unit actually had to look for a, another operator for the, for, for one of our machines because I wasn't, I was, I am not able to always be there just due to the level of, of, um, I'm not sure why you would call it die off or, or, um, just detoxing, but, yeah. uh, 
they just had to bring someone in to replace me for 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 key times in the day because I, I I could not put in the normal day I was used to putting in. I guess. Yeah, and so can we share what that diagnosis was? Uh, I diagnosed with with Lyme disease or or, or chronic Lyme disease with uh, mm-hmm. with the possibility of a couple co-infections. One one being uh, Babesia. And probably the jury might be out on on, on Bartonella, but um, the the more I learned about the diagnosis, after, when I started to get a tiny bit better, it made sense, and I had to have the practitioner share with me um, to help me um, filter through the results that I got from, from the lab in California to, to see why it wasn't so glaring and why the testing that I was that I got in Canada originally for it was so inaccurate. And uh, those combination of things um, helped me understand why it was going to take a long time to get better, I guess. Yeah, well, if you've been sick for a long time, whatever is going on is going to take a long time. Um, and so you said that you were feeling worse. Sheila, what was going on for you at, at that point in time? Um. It was a it was a very difficult time um, when Doug was diagnosed. Um, we, it, I think that that time element had to really sink in for both of us that this was not, in fact, going to be something that would be fixed um, in a day or a month. If this was years, and uh, so just accepting that this was our new normal for a while, mm-hmm. and that we just had to stay hopeful that. Um, that we would see these improvements and um, and just be there, you know, working as a team to hopefully get Doug feeling better. And so what happened with the family dynamic? I mean, before Doug was sick, you had three kids who were active and you were tag teaming and, and driving them around and doing all this. How did that change? Well, we really had to start to streamline um, activities. Um, I did try to keep the kids' life as normal as I could um, because it was very, very difficult to to be in the home at the time. Doug was very sick. You know, he didn't didn't feel well. He um, was often, you know, irritable and and having trouble just with some of the daily things that went on in the home. So um, we would try to work around. Um, Doug a little bit so that we wouldn't necessarily disturb him, but continue on with the day to try to continue to keep the kids' life um, moving forward. So it was it was very difficult. It was a balancing act, and we did rely on um, family members and friends to fill in with taking Doug to treatments and um, just doctor's appointments so that I could continue working as well. Well, that must have been, you know, difficult for you to keep the family life as normal as you could when it wasn't normal, and that's a huge stress on you to do that. Um, were you feeling a lot of anxiety as well, just to try to keep that that going? I really, I really was, and um, I think when I look back on it now, you know, I think we're in survival mode at that time in our in our life, and I was just. Um, trying to do whatever it took every day, sometimes just every hour, to get through that day and and um, try to make sure everybody was doing okay. And and it was. It was um, a very difficult time, and I tried not to stop and think, I think, at times about it because um, it became overwhelming, and and we just had to kind of plow, plow forward. The kids, the kids struggled, and we would talk through it a lot, so at night when they would go to bed, we would often reflect on, you know, they would worry about dad and um, really look to me for the support to to know, is he going to get better, mom? And, and you know, are we going to be okay? And it was, it was a tough time. Yeah, I think um, that's a huge burden on you. And, and not to say that there's any fault for, for Doug here, but I know that anybody who is a caregiver has that 
that burden. You really are um, trying to hold the, the family together. You're the glue and you have to be there for your kids and you have to be there for, for Doug, for your husband. Um, yeah. So, you know, that, that I think is, is the part that doesn't get um, a lot. People don't talk about that a lot. And you said you had support from other people who were helping, you know, drive Doug to appointments and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, we we had some wonderful friends, and um, they were a huge network for us. Of um, you know, one of Doug's friends in particular was was there, basically on call, and would just offer. It was never we got to where we didn't even really have to ask him. He would just offer to help, and um, that was huge for our family because I think asking for help was hard for both. Doug and I, yeah. and it was very difficult for Doug to um, to know that he was asking people he needed that help, and we were all happy to give it, but when we have to go outside the family unit and say, you know what, I can't do this alone, um, we just have been so thankful for those people that kind of just said, we'll, go, we'll take them, I'm happy to take them, and um, that was just huge for us. Yeah, I think that's rare, too. Um most people don't quite know what to do when someone's ill or they don't quite understand. Did you ever come up with somebody who didn't um, understand how sick Doug was? I know when there's fatigue, it's a lot harder for people to see that there's something yeah. wrong. I think over time we had quite a number of people that the comment would be, oh, he's still sick? That must be so hard. But in the meantime, you know, life goes on for everyone else and and we wouldn't expect any different, but I don't think they necessarily, you know, they go about their life because they're busy as well and and probably just don't know really what's going on um, in the home. And so we just at times felt um, it, it was isolating. We definitely, like, we not all of uh, the people that surrounded us were comfortable with it. And... Um, it became, you know, we had to say no to things and we just Doug couldn't be in large groups and so we didn't go to as many functions and so therefore it's isolating and people start to pull away from you because they don't know how how to respond. Well, yeah, and, and I don't think that's anything personal. I think people are afraid or they don't know. Um, but as you said, it's very isolating when when people don't know and they're, they're not there the way that you need them, even if it's just mm-hmm. to see if you're okay. Um, yeah. That's that's hard. I've been on, yeah, I've been on both sides of that, so I know that's um, most. I think you know most people just don't know um, yeah. what to do. Yeah, exactly. um, I've been there myself too, right? You just don't know how to help sometimes, and you're there, but you don't always offer that hand. Yeah, yeah. So um, now is. Doug, are you starting to feel better with your treatment? Uh, yes, uh, I always I always tease that uh, the guys guys like numbers, and when women ask you how you feel, so I just say I was telling I was tell the guys that I'm, I think I'm about sixty percent better, and they go, oh, you're you're better than that, and I said, well, uh, I said I I, it's, I don't they don't give you a manual on getting better, so I just that's just my best guess, but I but I do tell people now that I. I know I'm feeling better because things are more straightforward. Um, I have mental clarity, which is which is like a, a gift. But um, I I often tell people it took me getting 10% better to realize how bad it had become, and that yeah. and that was uh, it, it. That part was hard, but the little improvements. Uh, sometimes I'd be afraid to go to bed at night because I would have had such a good day. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go backwards the next day. And, uh, you know, when you wake up and you still have the same clarity, you're like, this is, this is, this is real. Cause, um, at, at first you'd have a good day and then maybe you'd fall by like, 10 bad ones and everyone would say, well, you overdid it. And, uh, you didn't know what days you could push yourself on what days you couldn't, you know? Yeah. So as you're getting better, are you guys noticing a change in dynamic in your relationship? Are things a little bit different after going through this? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, we're, you know, it's, it's, I would say the best way to describe it is it's a bit of a roller coaster. Um, because now that Doug's, um, feeling better, um, he's been definitely trying to take part in more and he's feeling well and excited about life again and, and it's great to see. Um, but it's creating that balance again. Um, some of it, me letting go of, of what I've been accustomed to just, um, doing and, and also kind of me also worrying that he is going to overdo it or because it's been so long that, uh, that his, that it's limited his work and play. So it's, it's a dynamic of, of, um, trying to move forward from here and create a, a new normal. Yeah, the you can't come out of an illness and, and be the same as you were, but you can um, try to make it stronger and better after coming through something. Exactly, and I think talking about it is um, the biggest part. Doug and I um, communicate and have talked a lot in the last while, and and sometimes he's having a bad day, and sometimes I'm having a bad day, and... Um, I think the hardest part is it's the aftermath or the collateral damage of of a chronic illness. It it leaves you a little bit like a wet noodle, and um, you're like, "What just happened to me or us?" And so you're trying to rebuild um, that family unit. To it's not always maybe going to be what it was, but it it can be even better, right? And so that's where we're at right now is just trying to move forward from from a very difficult place. So if, what advice would you give to anybody else in the same situation that's going through the same thing? Uh, stay, on your, stay on your treatment path. Uh, although some people may, for me personally, when I was discouraged, I, all, all I knew to do was to keep doing the protocol that I was that I was provided with because um, in my situation I, the person the practitioner I chose to put trust in had lived it so I thought to myself if they can get better and this is what they did and I need to follow this and um, and that, that's what that's what kept me uh, determined to, tr- to try something because uh, that, at, at the point of going back um, going back maybe maybe wasn't a great idea because there was nothing to go back to. Okay. So I want to thank you both for joining me and sharing your story. That's a very um, private time in your life and a very hard time, so thank you for sharing. We're going to take a break, and after we're going to be talking with Anna Mann, the director at the Alberta Caregivers Association, and she's going to help us understand more of what caregivers go through. Uh, feel free to send us an email or contact us if you have any questions or comments about this or any other show. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black and Dari Samia. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. We all want to live a healthy, vibrant life. With so many toxins in our world, it becomes an uphill battle. Inflammation is the premise of all disease and comes from four sources of toxins. 
With a proper understanding of toxins as well as proper detoxification and nutrition, disease can be avoided. Tune in to Whole Healthy Living with Sharon Brennan and learn how you can live a clean, whole, and healthy life in a toxic world. Start your journey Fridays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. We're here today talking about caregivers and the struggle that people go through when there is illness in their family. Um, We're talking now with Anna Mann, who is the executive director of the Alberta Caregivers Association. In this role, she has led the development and expansion of caregiver supports throughout Alberta. Anna regularly speaks on topics related to caregiving and has been involved in the development and evaluation of a number of programs, including COMPASS, which has been identified as a best practice in caregiver navigator. She has an interest in research on the policy implications of caregiving and sits on a number of related advisory boards. So Anna, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Can you tell me a little bit about the Alberta Caregivers Association? Absolutely. So the Alberta Caregivers Association was founded in 2001 uh, by a group of caregivers who had really just recognized and found that there weren't a lot of supports out there that were really about the caregiver. Um, So they said, you know, I'm taking care of my husband and I go to a support group um, and they don't talk about me. They, you know, we, we learn about the disease. We learn about the, what to expect in the progression of the illness. We learn about what to do if they fall, but we don't really talk about my experience or our experience has, has an individual who's providing care. And so, uh, they looked around and they didn't see anything that really addressed that. And so, um, they started an organization and that's really how we got our start. That I I um, think that's admirable. I, I agree that there isn't a lot of support for caregivers, which is why I wanted to do this show. I've been on both sides, um, having been cared for and having been a caregiver, and there wasn't a lot of support. And most people don't know what to do when when someone is sick. We just spoke to Doug and Sheila, who are mm-hmm. husband and wife, um, who've gone through some some tough times, and. Um, what do you usually see as a caregiver? It can't always just be husband and wife. Are there other dynamics in those roles? Mm-hmm. So caregivers come in sort of all shapes and sizes. Um, I think something that often gets missed is when we talk about caregiving, people tend to think of, you know, an adult child caring for their aging parents or, you know, a spouse. Uh, but it can be people of all ages. We've worked with caregivers who were, you know, eight or nine when they started caregiving for their parents who had a mental illness. Um, it can include people caring for their spouses, uh, parents who are caring for a child with a disability, uh, people caring for, again, aging parents. Um, but it can also include things like caring for your friends or for your neighbors. And the types of things they can do really vary. So it might be emotional support or direct care. You might be helping with medication, um, running errands, taking people to appointments, um, you know, providing sort of bathing or emotional support. Like there's a, there's a huge range of the type of support that is provided. Um, and what we found is that even though there's this sort of huge range in terms of the experience and, you know, kind of the needs of the person that you're caring for, there's this sort of consistent experience and lots of caregivers will say when they're describing kind of what it's been like to be a caregiver, they use a lot of the same sort of words. Um, you know, they talk about feeling guilty or feeling isolated, um, you know, kind of that sense of caregiving takes over your life and changes your relationships with the people around you. Um, those are all really kind of common experiences amongst a lot of caregivers. Um, so what do you usually recommend for people when they are going through something like that, those kind of emotions, the guilt and that kind of thing? Uh, well, I think the, a big thing and, and sort of the first thing is to just sort of recognize that you are a caregiver. So 
Um, often when we talk to people, they'll say things like, you know, I'm not a caregiver. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do as a good wife or husband or parent or, you know, child. Um, so I'm just doing what I should do. And, um, and while you're absolutely providing that care because you have a relationship with that person and they matter to you um, and they're important to you, um, there's this sense that if you can't do absolutely everything that's required of, of you or of them to provide that care, then, like, you're not a good enough son or daughter or husband and wife. Um, so, so one of the first steps, I think, is really just sort of acknowledging that, you know, you have this extra role. You're, yes, you're their wife or their parent, um, but you're also this caregiver who's doing these other tasks. Um, and that kind of makes it easier to sort of take a step back and say, what are the caregiving things I can give away? Um, you may not have to do everything yourself. Uh, just to give you an example, we had one caregiver. I remember her saying, um, you know, I'm the good daughter. Like, my mom uh, lives in assisted living, and I visit her two or three times a week. I do her errands. I take her grocery shopping. I get her, you know, get her hair done. I help her clean up. I'm the good daughter, right? Like, I'm doing all this work. And my brother comes, and he visits once a week um, just for a couple hours, and she's not excited to see me. She's only excited to see him, Um you know, and there was this sort of sense of, like, I'm doing all the work. But the thing was, she was spending a lot of time being the caregiver and kind of doing all these tasks, but not really spending much time actually just being the daughter. So there's sort of this differentiation. And if you can sort of split it up and say, these things are caregiving things, and I don't have to do all of them myself, it's okay if, you know, I ask for help or I get some support to do those, then you can sort of spend more time actually having that relationship and keeping those things separate. Well, yeah, the relationship does change when there's just caregiving involved and you have to do all these things. Just like you said, you know, she's not actually spending the quality time that her, mm-hmm. you know, mom really needed her to do to have conversations because she's so busy doing all those other things. Yeah, I, absolutely. And there's yeah. a lot of grief in that, I think, right? So your relationship is changing. You, you really care about this person, but you're watching them change and them go through things. And, you know, and I mean, I think something that comes up for a lot of caregivers is, like, there's a, a bit of anger and resentment. And when you think about it, like, anger is a normal part of the grief cycle, but because we don't talk about grieving somebody who's still alive and maybe is expected to get better eventually, but there's still these changes that you're going through and, and losses, um, and we don't kind of acknowledge them or say that it's okay to feel that way. Um, well, yeah, and you're, you're, you're losing your relationship the way it was, and you'll never get that back. You, you can mm-hmm. build on it and change it, like we talked about with Sheila and Doug, but um, mm-hmm. it's not going to be the same. It is going to change. Yeah, absolutely. And I was actually really struck by what Sheila was saying about kind of making that transition sort of post-caregiving. Your relationship is changing again, right? And for so yeah. long, your identity and your relationship has been sort of this caregiver, care-receiver, and now you're trying to change back or, or move back towards something you might have had before. And that's a really difficult transition to make. Yeah, I'm, it, I'm changing from caregiver to not having to be a caregiver. I know when I got better trying to reestablish, you know, my marriage and relationships with people after not being able to do that for so long, it's hard because they, they as Sheila said, they've gone on with their lives. And, you know, two years later, your friends have kind of just sort of counted you out and there's not much room left for you so things change on on all aspects whether you're the caregiver or the person that's sick once you re-emerge from that everybody else's life is different and has kind of changed and gone on without you Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and I think that's something a lot of caregivers really relate to Um, you know and something we hear a lot too is that if you are caregiving and especially if you're caregiving for a long time and you don't have time to sort of maintain your social connections and that. You almost, your whole identity and your whole life gets really wrapped up in providing that care. And then when you're not doing that anymore, it's almost like you don't have a purpose, right? Like you've just spent so much time and energy focusing on the person you're caring for. And if you're ill, kind of on the focus on getting better and sort of living through it, that when you come out of it, yeah, you have a different mindset and you're not entirely sure who you are anymore, right? And so how do you help people to figure out that afterwards? Like what... Um, steps or, or advice do you have for people when they're trying to figure out who they are after being a caregiver for so long? Well, that's a big challenge. Yeah. Um, so we work mostly with caregivers who are still actually going through the caregiving process, and our focus is, you know, often on getting them to sort of um, take a step back and accept help and sort of maintain boundaries and maintain sort of their sense of self while they're providing that care. So when you get to the end of the journey, um, or your sort of your journey starts to change, that you're not in that situation. Um, but I mean, I think there's lots of things that you can look at. Um, grief, 
grief groups are really good just to look at sort of loss in general, um, though often they're focused on bereavement and people who have passed away, so that can be challenging. Um, but often it's kind of re-exploring things that you used to like and sort of identifying what what's important to you and what you're passionate about and, and sort of how you want to live your life moving forward, right? It's almost a chance to sort of reinvent yourself. Yeah, I think I've done that a few times in my life. One when I finished school, mm-hmm. one after being a caregiver, and then one after being sick. So, um, mm-hmm. But I, do, I think most people don't have... Um, that many opportunities and it, it's def- it's a challenge, especially if it's a, a parent or somebody, a spouse who's been sick for a very long time, even mm-hmm. if they get better to kind of remember what, once you have that time, what to do with it. It kind of feels weird, I think, to mm-hmm. try to fill that space that's all of a sudden empty where you used to do this thing for somebody or that thing can definitely affect your um, identity really down down to the core. If you're not doing those things anymore, who you are has yeah. changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people too, sometimes it's it's almost processing what's happened. Um, I know something that I found is that um, when I talk about caregiving, people don't necessarily recognize themselves as being caregivers when they are caregiving, right? Like you're sort of too too deep into it and, and so busy mm-hmm. sort of doing it that you don't recognize it. But afterwards, people will say, "Oh yeah, I did that, right?" And I wish I had known about you. Um, but I mean, I think there's this sort of sense of, um, it kind of gives you a chance to sort of take a step back and process what you've gone through as well. And sometimes it's really helpful to connect with other people who have been caregivers or have gone through that experience and sort of just be able to share and, and relate and know that you weren't alone going through that and that, you know, things can get better. So there, uh, are there a lot of organizations like yours around that people can find if they're wanting to find that help? Are there a lot of groups and stuff? Um, so we're the only group within Alberta, um, and there are groups. It kind of depends um, where you are and sort of what the jurisdiction you're living in is. Um, but um, there are some groups available. Um, it's always good to ask, you know, your doctor or, um, you know, check with sort of the local senior centers may have something. Um, it really is very dependent on where you live, what's available. Um, but there's also a lot of good programs online, so online forums or places where you can kind of check in and chat with others. Um, and then in Canada, there's the Caring Voice Network as well, which is a, a program that you can phone into and they have webinars and that kind of thing too. So if you're not near a, a place where caregiver supports are being offered directly, you can still sort of access them. Okay. So they're a helpline that, that people can call and they support them and answer questions and that kind of thing? Um, it's not really a helpline, so it's more it provides support in terms of, um, you know, if you call, there'll be like a webinar or something, so it's okay. sort of a, everyone gets together at the same time and can listen in to a particular topic related to caregiving. Okay. So um, is there any particular advice that you give people when they first call in? Like, what's the most common questions that you get when people are looking for help? Mm-hmm. So um, generally when people call us, so we have a service called the Caregiver Advisor, so people can call in and get sort of one-to-one support and counseling and referrals. Um, And generally when people call in, um, they're looking for information. Um, The most common reasons people will call is they're looking for support kind of in the home through home care, um, or they're looking for financial support. Um, When we start to talk to people, often the discussion um, really comes in around, you know, uh, looking after yourself and do you have time and the resources to really take care of your own needs, and, and it's often an opportunity where you start having a discussion around um, feeling guilty or feeling resentful and sort of addressing some of those negative emotions that, um, you know, kind of all caregivers experience but aren't generally talked about, and people may not realize that they're kind of a common thing um, that they're going through that other people are going through as well. Well, with the isolation that people experience, it would be hard to understand that, um you know, there are people experiencing the same thing because you, you don't get to reach out very much. You're, you're mm-hmm. pretty um, um, isolated and, and don't have the time and the energy because you're burned out as well when you're caring for somebody. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think too, just the fact that generally we don't talk about, you know, feeling angry or resentful or having these sort of negative emotions, even mm-hmm. um, it can make it even more isolating in the sense that you feel really bad, right? Like, you know, I, I resent the person I'm caring for for being sick. You know, that, that's not a nice sort of feeling to have. And so to, to talk about it with someone, if you don't realize that it's sort of a common thing to experience, you know, it, it makes you feel isolated just because you're having these 
you know, you're supposed to be kind of noble and self-sacrificing and you're having these negative thoughts, right? Yeah, and a lot of shame with those thoughts when you're trying to do everything you can, but then you're you're resentful and then you feel shame and it can go in this cycle. But if you learn that that's a normal thing to experience, um, mm-hmm. I can see how that would lift a burden of that and there'd be less shame and you'd be able to work through that. Yeah, absolutely. So is there a way that people can get a hold of your organization if they need to? Yeah, so my organization, we're located in Alberta, of course, um, and uh, we provide group supports and one-on-one support. So I mentioned the caregiver advisor does one-on-one support, um, and you can reach her by phone. Um, so our toll-free number is one eight seven seven four five three five zero eight eight. And then our local number, if you're in Edmonton, is 780-453-5088. And then as well, if you visit our website, www.albertacaregivers.org, there's places where you can contact by email. Um, And then we also offer group supports, and we offer those around the province. We have both workshops and sort of one-on-one or drop-in sort of one-time support. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I think this was helpful to understand what Doug and Sheila were going through to know that there there is help and, and what's normal to experience. I think what they experienced was, was pretty normal, um, even though it was challenging. So thank you very much for sharing. Yeah, thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, and I encourage all the caregivers out there to reach out and, and ask for help. It's very important. Yes, I agree. Um, So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. This was such a personal topic for me, and I'm honored to share it with others. If you want more information about my story and what I went through on my journey to health, you can find it on my website at dr-risk.com. Feel free to call us, follow us on Twitter or Facebook, or send an email at anantacalgary at gmail.com. If you have any questions or comments about this show or any other, uh, please make this a great day. And thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.